Welcome to another sermon podcast from All Souls Anglican Church, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us as we study God's Word together. These weekly sermons are part of the teaching ministry of our church. Have your Bible ready as we begin this week's sermon. And stay tuned when we finish at the end to find out more about us. Now, my dear friends, this is the uh, ninth sermon in our sermon series on the letter of James. And this evening's study is uh, James chapter 2, verses 20 through 26. It's the second part of a two-part study in what is the theological center of the letter. Now, we saw last time how James set the direction of chapter 2 in his introduction. There he writes that true religion shows itself in action. It controls the tongue, cares for widows and orphans in their distress. It shows compassion for the poor, which includes their spiritual and material needs. And in step with the rest of the scriptures, he asserts that to love your neighbor as yourself is the fulfilling of the royal law, the law of Christ. Faith works. Now we also saw how in chapter 2, James himself, so wondrously transformed by grace, shreds any cheapening of God's grace in Christ as a false security. He tears it away. In verses 14 to 19, he poses two questions. What good is faith without works? None. Can such a faith save? No. James unmasks a light faith. A faith that saw no changed life. And after coming to Christ, that is not biblical faith. James has in mind the person who may know the doctrines of the Christian faith and live a relatively decent life, but there is nothing distinctly transforming in their behavior. He repeats an essential biblical principle that we last read in the letter to the Ephesians. When a man or woman comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, It is an entirely new creation. Life, that individual life, is gloriously transformed. So, if being a believer in Jesus Christ does not gloriously change your life, James presses this point and says you must ask if you truly are a believer in Jesus Christ. Next, James switches strategy. He offers an explanation now by creating a hypothetical person who pushes back against his assertion. Well, James, you have faith. I have works. You have works. I have faith. In other words, choose your own way. The works way or the faith way. But James thunders back. The gospel does not just float over your head. 
It grabs your heart. It transforms your life. It brings you to Jesus Christ in such a way that you are never the same man or woman again. In other words, it's bound to show. And so James continues now in this hypothetical scenario. And he gives, in verses 20 through 26, two brilliant illustrations, two wonderful examples of his point, and one final simile to bring his argument to a final conclusion. So let's begin then with his two illustrations. In verse 20, we're right back with our hypothetical. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Now, I wish I could communicate to you how brilliant the two illustrations are that that James uses. If this were one of those television courtroom dramas, and James were the lawyer, his call for his first witness and then his second witness would cause a stir in the courtroom in a good old-fashioned Perry Mason moment. He uses as his witnesses the two most famous figures in Jewish history, the two people that would have been well-known to the Jewish Christian believers to whom he wrote his letter. They knew their Old Testament. He puts his finger on them because they were known as people who were saved by faith and yet realized totally transformed lives through faith each and every day. Now our two witnesses are drawn from opposite ends of the spectrum. Abraham, the most admired of men, the friend of God, and Rahab, a Canaanite, and a prostitute. He was moral. She was immoral. He was the original Jew. She, a Gentile woman. He was wealthy. She lived in the gutter. Now, how does James describe Abraham? How are these two people saved, he asks. And in the same way, we've seen this before. It's a while ago now, but when we had our study of the letter of the Hebrews, to the Hebrews, because it asks the same question. Both Rahab and Abraham are used as examples in the Sermon to the Hebrews and in the same way here in James's letter. Now, although Abraham is referred to in Hebrews in chapters 6 and 7, it is chapter 11 that concerns us. Do you remember what chapter 11 is in Hebrews? It's the famous faith chapter. It describes what faith is, and it gives example after example. That's where Abraham and Rahab appear. They're examples of those saved by faith and faith alone. Now, as we would expect, Abraham comes first in Hebrews and has the longer commentary there as well, just as we find here in James chapter 2. Now, Abraham is both justified by faith 
in James and in Hebrews, both alluding to Genesis 15. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Romans chapter 4 does the same by the Apostle Paul. Then, in Hebrews and in James, we see how God's promise of an offering is realized through faith. There's fits and starts along the way in Genesis, as we know, with Hagar and Sarah, etc. But it's brought to realization in the birth of Isaac in Genesis 17 and 21. And both places, Hebrews 11 and here in James, the focus goes zeroing in on the sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis 22. In both places, Abraham is saved by faith alone, and the promises that he relies on, that God has made to him, are realized through faith. He trusts in those promises, and his life is transformed. Now, James collapses the longer narrative of Hebrews 11 by just focusing down on Genesis 22 and then connecting it with Genesis 15. How Genesis 22, the sacrifice, realizing through faith what was established by faith in Genesis 15. Now, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, and here we are in Genesis 11, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, let's look a little closer at the time index here. Abraham has a realization by works when he offered Isaac on the sacrificial altar in Genesis 22. Now, what's happening here? James explains it. You see that faith is active in Abraham's life and is demonstrated in his works. Faith completes his works. So we might say it this way, that Abraham's faith flowered. It came to maturity. It showed itself in good working order. In this way, the scripture is fulfilled. Genesis fifteen six. Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Justified by faith in Genesis 15, trusting in those promises, a transformed life through faith, and faith completing that transformed life in his works. So you see what James is saying here, that Abraham's faith in the saving promises of God is declared to be in a relationship with God when he later offers up his son to God. That Abraham, who was said to be in a relationship, I beg your pardon, <laughs> that Abraham, who was said to be in a right relationship with God, was quite obviously in a right 
relationship with God. This is the same conclusion in Hebrews. It's the conclusion Paul makes in Romans. That the man or woman who trusts in Jesus Christ by faith, the one who bows down to confess, Jesus is my Lord. O Lord, call me to do anything for you. And in time, they do indeed do anything for their Savior. Now, doesn't that demonstrate that he or she really is in a right relationship with God? Abraham is saved by faith, and the promise is realized in works through faith. Now, what about Rahab? Well, again, witness number two does the same thing. Now, Hebrews eleven thirty-one says it like this. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, James follows the same line of argument. Setting the question to his imaginary opponent who argued for, well, your choice, the faith way or the works way. James says you can't divorce the two. They have an organic whole. And so James writes this, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Now, both Hebrews 11 and James chapter 2 are alluding to Joshua chapter 2 verses 1 through 21. Now, I want to just focus down on two verses in Joshua 2. It's where Rahab gives what I would call her testimony to the two spies, indicating that she has trusted God by faith. This is what she says. I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Now, I hope you have a Bible in front of you, uh, ESV perhaps, because if you go to Joshua chapter 2, you'll see that when she gives her testimony and refers to God, she uses the term, the Lord, and it's all in capitals. Do you remember what that means? Referring to God in the capitals? That's the ESV's method of translating God's unique covenant name. The name for those who are following and trusting by faith. In other words, she has heard of God's covenant-saving love for Israel, and she claims that same for herself and uses the name by faith. Up to this point, remember, she has not seen any of these things. She's what? She's heard them. For we have heard? Well, let's change the pronoun. For I have heard. I have heard. Now, what, how could that be? Well, 
if you pardon me for a moment for, for being a bit more basic about these things, but the people who in Rahab's time most frequently uses such houses of ill repute were traveling merchants. From them, she had repeatedly heard of this wondrous nation which was approaching from Egypt and of the God, this Yahweh, this Lord, who had perfected such striking miracles. In other words, Rahab heard the word of God. And though surrounded by her ancient culture, she believed. Now, this is where it gets fascinating, because it's so clear then, isn't it, that she trusts in the Lord and has been transformed, because she endangers her own life by misdirecting the king of Jericho and hiding the spies. Then she advises them where to hide in open country and when to break cover. And then she helps them escape from the city by lowering them out of a window in the wall. In other words, the right relationship she has with God, not by what she's done, but on the basis of God's promises that she's heard and clinging to that promise, I heard and I know, now begin to show themselves as she begins to respond to the people of God and to the work of God. She identifies with them and so saves them and supports them. You see, this is the progression we see in the scriptures time and time again, particularly in the New Testament writers. No one is justified before God with a faith that doesn't work. And nobody is justified by works who doesn't have saving faith. Now, James offers his conclusion then to his courtroom witnesses with a final conclusion. He uses this great simile, bringing the two together. You can't have it either or, it's both and. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So James repeats his main point one more time. Body without spirit is dead. Faith without works is dead. And you see, there's an advantage in James's time that perhaps we might not realize. Again, not trying to be insensitive, but um, for someone like myself, I have been with a person after they've died within an hour or two. And there is a marked difference between what they were like just an hour before and what they're like now. Something has changed. It's almost as if the body itself gets smaller as the work of the body in life has ceased. This is James's point. If the spirit has departed, the body no longer is alive. Without works, faith is not demonstrated to be alive. Faith and works are interrelated. 
as a person's body and spirit. Now, it's true that saving faith by definition means that the spirit enters a person's life to begin transforming them to the likeness of Christ. That's what he's on about. So James warns us to make sure our faith is in working order. Now, I don't know if you're that type of person who does this, but uh, whenever I have to take a long drive, one of the first tasks I do is I check over the car. Perhaps it hasn't had a service for a while, I'll make sure it gets one. I'll check the oil, I'll get the battery checked, I'll check the pressure in all the tires, I'll check the pressure in the donut spare. How many of us have forgot that and found out, oh, it doesn't have any air left in it? In other words, you check it over to make sure it is in working order because you're going on a long journey. So that's the question, isn't it? Have we checked if our faith is in working order? Are there works, evidences of a transformed life? We're not going on any long journey here, but we're going on a journey to eternity, aren't we? So let me ask a few questions in the spirit of what James is asking here. Are you crystal clear on this teaching that faith brings you to Jesus Christ, who apart from his works you can't be saved? Are you clear about how you're saved by faith alone? And number two, is your faith in working order? That now that you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you've become, as Martin Luther said, a living, busy, mighty thing, active. Faith is active. And as Paul says in Galatians 5, that faith works by love. And the third, do you know the pathway to this faith so that you could point it out to someone else? Do you know how to be saved? I'll never forget years ago, a fellow minister once shared over lunch a note he received from the offering counters that had been placed in the plate the day before. It said this, Pastor, pray for me, because I am not sure I am a Christian. Indeed, I'm, I'm not a Christian, but I want to be one more than anything. We looked at that, and we looked at each other, and we began to pray. What is someone like that to do? Well, they should come to Jesus to say, I'm a sinner. And I am conscious of that. Jesus, I heard that you died for sinners and you're able to save me. You invite me to trust you. And I come to trust you. And I want you to give me the power of the Holy Spirit that you promise to live in those who trust you so that I may live to your glory. Now, back in Sunday school you know, in the Bronze Age, I was taught a little chorus that I had to look up to get all the words right again, but I remembered 
a few words of it, and that set me on my search. Here's what the words say. Cleanse me from my sin, Lord. Put thy power within, Lord. Take me as I am, Lord, and make me all thine own. Keep me day by day, Lord, underneath thy sway, Lord. Make my heart thy palace and thy royal throne. That's the question, isn't it? Do we have saving faith? Is your heart his throne? Let's examine ourselves to see if we really are in the faith. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about us by going to our website, allsoulsnj.org. There, you can support our mission by making a one-time donation or starting a podcast member subscription by clicking the Support the Show link under the Contact Us tab. You can also support us in prayer by clicking the Email Newsletter tab at the top. All Souls Anglican Church. Simple Church. Ancient Truth. Real People. New Life.